What is the plural of nystagmus? I don't know. I say nystagmi sometimes, but then I feel ridiculous, so I, then I stop. Okay, we'll just call it nystagmi for now. I'm Jim Sigler, and today we're going to be talking about nystagmus with Dr. Ali Hamadani. You remember him from a prior episode on disorders of eye movements in the past. So welcome back to the show, Ali. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here again. So today we're going to be talking about these nystagmus and nystagmoid eye movements, and some of these movements can be very confusing, and you know, I was hoping you could help me out with some of the nomenclature. So tell me what is nystagmus and what distinguishes it from nystagmoid and other disorders of efferent function. Absolutely. So I think part of the reason that people are intimidated by nystagmus is that it can be difficult to describe if it's not something that you do on a regular basis. Um, the world of movement disorders has very refined definitions for what they see in terms of tremor and chorea and athetosis and bilismus. So I really try to apply the same language to eye movement disorders whenever I can. So to me, nystagmus is any rhythmic oscillatory eye movement. And so in that sense, it's kind of analogous to tremor, which is rhythmic and oscillatory as well. I think a big take-home message is that not every abnormal involuntary eye movement is nystagmus. So the definition of, of it being rhythmic implies a little bit of of a kind of sinusoidal curve. And so really rapid darting eye movements don't really fit there. They have a start and a finish, but they don't really accelerate or decelerate very much. They just dart from one to the other. Those are saccades and they can be normal or they can be abnormal, which are called saccadic intrusions. And they have a lot of different names depending on the pattern that they follow. And then on the other end, eye movements that are slower than nystagmus, you know, they may be stereotyped and repetitive, but they're not quite as rhythmic because they're so slow and sustained. So these would be things like roving eye movements, which are seen in sedation or in uh, bihemispheric dysfunction, ocular bobbing or ocular dipping would also fall into this category because they don't have the same rhythmicity to them. But things that fall in the middle are called nystagmus. Once you've decided that someone has nystagmus, using the right language to describe it is key. Because a lot of times, if you describe it in more detail, I think the answer will kind of announce itself. So there are two fundamental types of nystagmus. There's jerk nystagmus and pendular nystagmus. All nystagmus begins with a slow phase, but afterwards you can either have a quick phase uh, or jerk. So that's jerk nystagmus or another equally slow phase, which would be pendular nystagmus. For now, let's just say that pendular nystagmus is quite rare. And especially in adults, the nystagmus you're seeing is almost always jerk nystagmus. So once you've decided that someone has jerk nystagmus, you can use a couple of other descriptors to qualify. You can describe which directions of eye movement you see it in. And for jerk nystagmus, we always describe nystagmus um, in the direction of the fast phase. So left beating nystagmus would mean nystagmus where the quick phase is to the left. And what that implies is that there's a slow phase to the right. And then you can also say whether it gets worse or better, meaning whether it amplifies in frequency or in amplitude, or whether it dampens uh, in other directions of gaze. You can also describe whether it has a rotary component too, and the best way to do that is to look at the scleral blood vessels as someone's eyes are beating, and you're looking not just for the iris's movement or the pupil's movement, but also for those blood vessels to see if they're rotating up or rotating down, and uh, rotation is described uh, by the shoulder to which you perceive the eyes to be rotating. Let's move on to some kind of clinical examples of nystagmus. Uh, nystagmus is one of the three main features of the HINTS test, or at least one of the four main features in the HINTS plus assessment and the identification of central causes of acute vestibular syndrome. Can you just tell me how you interpret nystagmus as either central or peripheral in origin? Sure. So in the HINTS study, really the two types of nystagmus they talk the most about are vestibular nystagmus and gaze-evoked nystagmus. So vestibular nystagmus is by definition unidirectional, 
uh, and it beats in that direction regardless of the direction of gaze. So, for example, if someone had right vestibular neuritis, you would expect to see left beating nystagmus. That's always left beating no matter which direction of gaze they look. It usually has a mixed horizontal and rotary component, and it may be present in primary gaze, and an up and down gaze would be persistent, but still pretty minimal. Uh, in addition, it obeys something called Alexander's Law. What that means is that the frequency and amplitude of the nystagmus changes based on the direction of gaze, and it specifically changes in a way that where it's more prominent when one looks away from the side of the vestibular lesion. The other type of nystagmus that we often encounter when we're seeing a patient with acute constant dizziness is gaze-evoked nystagmus. This type of nystagmus is purely horizontal without much of a rotary component. It is direction changing, meaning that it's left beating and left gaze, but right beating and right gaze. And it typically does not persist in up gaze. You can have upbeat nystagmus that accompanies gaze-evoked nystagmus, but that's technically a little bit different. I caution the use of the term central and peripheral, though, because you can imagine that if you had a lesion right where the fibers of the eighth cranial nerve enter the medulla, or even a little bit more proximally at the level of the vestibular nuclei, not much has changed in terms of the anatomy, and so you'd expect the same pattern of nystagmus, but now you're in the central nervous system. So that's a nice segue into the localization of certain types of nystagmus and disorders of nystagmus. When can you put your money down that uh, a patient has a nystagmus that localizes to a very specific area of the brain? Sure. So there are a couple of forms of nystagmus that localize pretty well to the cervicomedullary junction. One is downbeat nystagmus. It's actually best seen in lateral gaze for reasons that aren't entirely understood. Uh, and then another type of nystagmus that also localizes to the cervicomedullary junction is periodic alternating nystagmus. This is a horizontal jerk nystagmus that actually changes direction within a particular direction of gaze. So for example, in primary gaze or even in left gaze, it'll be left beating for a period of time. And then after a certain cycle, usually on the order of like 30 to 90 seconds, it'll switch directions and start beating to the right, all in the same direction of gaze. Um, those both localize pretty well to the cervicomedullary junction and are thought to involve fibers that go from the semicircular canals to the third and fourth nerve nuclei. I guess, uh, so another type of localizing nystagmus that's not technically a nystagmus, so um, just take it with a word of caution, is convergence retraction nystagmus, which is seen in the dorsal midbrain syndrome. Nystagmus isn't the best term because they're actually saccades rather than rhythmic oscillatory eye movements, but um, these are converging movements of the eyes that are elicited by upgaze, or either voluntary attempted upgaze, or for example, moving an optokinetic nystagmus tape up upwards so that people are trying to look up. Uh, and the retraction comes from the fact that you're activating muscles on both sides of the eye at the same time. In vestibular neuritis, the thought is that all of the semicircular canals are inflamed more or less equally, and because the anterior and posterior semicircular canals sort of cancel each other out in terms of their rotational effect, the rotary effect that you see comes mostly from the horizontal semicircular canal. You could imagine that in if you had a selective disease process of one semicircular canal, for example, benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, BPPV, which typically affects the posterior canal, um, what happens there is that in the Dix-Hall-Pike maneuver, the patient's placed supine with their head turned 45 degrees and, and then tilted backwards. Uh, and so when you activate that side's posterior canal, you produce tonic deviation of the eyes down and rotating towards the affected side, which results in a corrective saccade, which is upwards and rotates away from the affected side. And you can imagine if you instead had involvement of the anterior semicircular canal, you'd have the, the opposite effect. So in BPPV, um, both the anterior and posterior canals are tested with a Dix-Hall pike, but you're testing a different side and you're looking for a different eye movement. And then for horizontal canal BPPV, that's tested using the supine 45-degree head roll, which is a little bit different. 
and you're looking for horizontal nystagmus there that can either be towards or away from the affected eye, depending on which form of the BPPV you have. Can you walk us through how you would test someone using the optokinetic tape or the... Or a drum. Sometimes it's a little wheel that's like this. To me, the main reason to use an OKN stripe is to try and elicit... Well, actually, a couple of things. So one is that you can try to elicit convergence retraction nystagmus by eliciting upgaze. Another would be that you can try to detect an INO that way, because if you um, have the tape moving in one direction, you can see how the abducting eye will abduct normally, but the the deficient eye, the eye with the INO, may not adduct well, and so you may not see it doing the the same thing. Exactly. One other thing that's sort of an odd finding is that in congenital nystagmus, which we can talk about later, you can actually see reversal of the OKN response. So it's normal for your eyes to follow the stripe as, as the stripe moves, and then to saccade back towards the midline to then pick up another stripe and follow it. But for whatever reason, um, in congenital nystagmus, sometimes the opposite happens. Okay, well, that's kind of a nice segue. Let's talk about the types of congenital nystagmus. Congenital nystagmus is characterized by pendular waveform and primary gaze. Um, that actually changes a little bit with age. So in infancy, they're very w- large amplitude. They basically go from extremes of one gaze to the other. Uh, some people call them windshield wiper nystagmus because it just goes all the way from one side to the other very smoothly. And then over time, uh, the pendular nystagmus will be a little bit restricted in range, and then it'll transform into jerk nystagmus in one direction or the other. Uh, it's also one of the few nystagmi that's horizontal but persists with that horizontal directionality in up gaze or in down gaze. Uh, in terms of the causes of congenital nystagmus, there are many. Um, they're broadly defined into either motor or sensory. Um, sensory refers to afferent disorders of vision for whatever reason, you know, congenital cataracts, you know, inherited retinopathies or optic nerve atrophy or things like that, um, that interfere with the developing brain's ability to integrate the images that they see and then to produce visual fixation. Uh, and then uh, congenital motor nystagmus is basically defined by a normal afferent exam and is thought to represent impaired gaze holding and other mechanisms due to a variety of different causes. Okay, and there are also some nystagmuses, nystagmi that are associated with substance abuse. I think that's a great point, which is that as neurologists, we often talk about localization. And so when you see gaze evoked nystagmus or upbeat nystagmus, you might be tempted to invoke a, a lesion in the cerebellum or the midbrain or something. But... Uh, drugs can have a similar effect. For me, it's hard to attribute one type of nystagmus to one drug, but I think just to know that there's almost any medication that has an effect on the central nervous system can have an effect on eye movements too. Certain anti-epileptic drugs like phenytoin or carbamazepine can produce gaze-evoked nystagmus. Lithium can produce upbeat nystagmus. Those tricyclic antidepressants can also produce nystagmus as well. Um, There are also some drugs that can dampen nystagmus too. Sometimes they're used to treat patients who have symptomatic oscillopsia, where their visual surround is moving and it's disturbing to them. So for pendular nystagmi, gabapentin and memantine can be used. Um, and then for downbeat nystagmus, sometimes they'll use um, 3,4-diaminoperidine, or what's now delphipidine. I guess for any focal lesion that produces nystagmus, you would want to look to see you know, what other structures are nearby that might also be affected. For example, an INO um, can often be caused by a lesion in the midbrain, and especially if you have bilateral INOs, when you're getting both median longitudinal fasciculi, you can get upbeat nystagmus as a result. So that's a a finding that's seen in INO, and especially in bilateral INO. Yeah, so the reason that you can see upbeat nystagmus in INO, especially in a bilateral INO, is that the output from the 
supranuclear vertical eye movement centers, which are the rostral interstitial nucleus of the median longitudinal fasciculus, and then a secondary site called the interstitial nucleus of Cajal. So as those inputs into the ocular motor nucleus complex are interrupted, is how you can get up in nystagmus. Before we end, uh, I just want to share a, a joke with you about nystagmus and eye movements. Would you like to hear it? Oh, I'd love to. Do you remember last week when I had that really bad nystagmus? You won't believe who I ran into. Who'd you run into? Everybody. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, right. that's my one joke about eye movements. All right. Anyway, thanks, Dr. Hamadani, for coming by and, and educating us about nystagmus and nystagmoid eye movements and their localization, their relationship with certain lesions of the peripheral and central nervous system. Really appreciate your time. Anytime. That's it for Brainwaves. Thanks for listening to Brainwaves today. If you like what you just heard, you can find more related material on the web at brainwaves.me or find us on Twitter at Brainwaves Audio. Feel free to contact us at bweditorialboard at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our iTunes archive for older episodes. This episode was produced by Jim Siegler. Music by Marcos H. Bolanos. I'm Erica Mejia. Join us next time for another edition of Brainwaves.